Are you satisfied with your understanding of sustainability? If you are not, imagine a journey together, a pluralistic one, with academia, innovators, startups, NGOs, all looking for solutions to the greatest challenge of our time. My name is Samuele Tini, and this is the Sustainability Journey. Welcome to another episode. And today we are going to interview an expert, an expert that is an author. She wrote the book Politics of Being and is also a leader, an expert at the UNDP Conscious Food System Alliance. I'm very pleased to have here today Thomas Legrand. Thomas, a pleasure having you here today. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Samuel. Thomas, your CV is impressive. You have been working sustainably for 20 years and you are trying also to put the two words sometimes that are at odd, spirituality, sustainability, and we really want to go deeper in, in your thoughts and book. But our usual question to you, who is Thomas? What is your sustainability journey? Thank you, Samuel. Well, funny enough, I think my sustainability journey is very much <laughs> linked to that question of who am I? Somehow, and I think it started for me 20 years ago when I was finishing my studies. I went for student exchange in Mexico and really met native spirituality there. And what I experienced was a profound reconnection to myself and to Mother Earth. And I was able to really change my life, change the direction of my life and put at the center my own inner journey. I realized that I was able to recognize that this was really what I was looking for in, in my life. And this, to me, this necessarily needed to be a journey of service. And I really changed my, uh, it was six months in Mexico. I went back for a semester in France. I took some extra courses to be able to graduate myself in a master's degree with a major in international development instead of, let's say, could have been a, probably international trade or something. So, and, and this reconnection also with Mother Earth uh, led me a few years later to do a PhD in ecological economics and on forest conservation and later on dedicate myself to that. And that was really out of the recognition, somehow I would say, of, the, of an insight on my true nature. There's a story I, 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 am, I tell in my book about while being in Mexico, being in a, in a mountain in an indigenous community. And at some point, I was, there was a big canyon. And on the other side, there was a forest. And at some point, I was able somehow to feel as if I was on the other side of the canyon, as if I was a forest and the forest was in me. And I think that remained an important memory of this kind of recognition. I feel I'm very, as a soul, very linked to the forest. And that was the beginning of my sustainability journey, which led me to work on forest conservation with the UN in, in different parts of the world. And, and fantastic. And you have done an impressive work. You also recall in the book and the discussions, all the story and all your journey, also the key insight and experience that shape your work. And your work, it's really, the book is one, I think, one of the testament of, I mean, and a summer of all your um, your uh, thinking. And you intertwine sustainability, development, and mindfulness. So the politics of being, you discuss the role of politics for, for sustainable development. We know that sometimes politics is associated with a negative exception for people. 
the less we have, the more we can do and get the results. So which are the challenges and opportunity for development and sustainability and how the, which is the key uh, theme of the book? Sure. Uh, first, uh, I have to say that uh, my, the way I talk about politics is in the sense of how we organize our cities or nations, right? So whether it is through actions by the private sector or civil society or government, there's always some kind of organization of societies. And at the moment, I feel our development paradigm have been has led us to organize ourselves, let's say, for economic growth. That has been our main understanding of, of development. And in my own experience as an environmentalist, we could say, I've come to the conclusion that there is little we can ach achieve within this overall development paradigm. And I would say also, which is linked to a certain mindset, worldview, very uh, influenced by modernity, we could say, you know, and values such as materialism, individualism, anthropocentrism, etc. So, and I've been, because in my own spiritual journey, I've really found that spiritual teachings were really instrumental for me to understand the happenings of the world, especially in this transition that we are facing and that many, you know, spiritual traditions have, have told about an evolution of humanity or growing in, into adulthood. And I think that really uh, explains what we are living through. And so I've Come with that question when I was started to, to work on the book in 2012, you know, what is a wisdom-based approach to development? And I found this answer in the Earth Charter, and it has been endorsed also by many wisdom traditions and the interreligious movement. And it says, when basic needs have been met, human development is primarily about being more rather than having more. And so my book, Politics of Being, is about organizing societies for being more. And I found out that nobody had yet defined what it means both theoretically, but above all, also in terms of concretely, in terms of implementation, which kind of policies in different sectors, where, how we should uh, design our, our, our systems in order to be more and rather than to have more as it is at the moment. So that is the politics of being. And, I, and it took me 10 years to develop that work, which I'm happy to see recognized as very foundational and a, and a breakthrough in that, in that reflection. Fantastic. And then maybe as a subsequent question, can you give us maybe the three, four key points and recommendation for transitioning from the, this paradigm of having to the paradigm of being? So in, uh, in the book, I have nine sectoral chapters. So I have specific policies, mainly most exclusively based on existing examples about how to organize societies in these nine sectors. So, you know, just to give you a few of them, you know, the importance of early childhood, let's say we know psychologists know that is a basis for human development. That is a basis also for or positive contribution to society. And there are economic studies that show that, you know, every dollar invested in that gives a lot of return for society. So, and that can translate into parenting programs, parental leaves, for example. How do we detect, manage, treat, you know, trauma or adverse childhood experiences? For example, that's one thing. Of course, another thing would be about an education. So uh, we have been, you know, 
filling brains with knowledge. Uh, that has been the main focus of education, let's say, uh, until now. And an education for being, there is a lot of different approaches that are existing. How do we cultivate character, value, capacity for resilience and well-being, and showing that it also contributes to good academic results, right? So there's a lot of approaches in education. You know, nature's rights is very important because, you know, politics of being is not only about human beings. We are recognizing we are part of the Earth's community and all beings are rights that have, you know, we human beings have human rights and every kind of being have their kind of own rights in accordance with their nature. So, and yeah, I would say in terms of governance, because when we talk about politics, often people think it's only about governance. Governance is very important. I think it's about deepening democracy right now, or uh, we can call all democratic systems as competitive adversarial democracy and they prompt polarization by design. And, and yeah, they need to evolve with more deliberative, direct democracy. There's a lot of recommendation I have in the book. And also it's a good example of my methodology because it brings together what some point were how wisdom traditions, in that case, the Baha'i tradition and their organization for their, for their communities and scientific work talks about uh, intelligent governance and, and identified an ideal model of governance, which has very similar features with the Baha'i uh, governance systems that was prophesied to be a kind of blueprint for humanity to adopt in the, in the future. So yeah, just a few examples of what it means. Fantastic. And I'm sure you have aroused curiosity also <laughs> to, to go a bit deeper. And I want now to, to ask maybe a, a subsequent question. One of the practical areas where you are trying to put at work your theories, your methodology, and your work, it is in the development field with the United Nations Development Program and the Conscious Food System Alliance. We know that food systems are crucial especially for the good development of people because it has, especially not only for emerging market, but also for developed market, food system and food, it is now becoming one of the base and the foundation for a good society. Can do a lot of uh, triple e on income, on well-being and on our biodiversity. So conscious food system Seems a paradox. I mean, we are used to being how much fertilizer you put, what is your output production. So can you provide some more insights? Which are the objective of the alliance? So how they want how do you want to transform with this initiative the food systems? Yes, thank you. You know, there is this sentence from Einstein that somehow you can't solve a problem with the same mindset that created it. So we need, you know, to be able, and it's very clear in the in food systems, we need a different mindsets to deal with the problems that, you know, industrial agriculture has created. And we know that that paradigm of industrial agriculture has no future. So we need to evolve that. And in this Conscious Food Systems Alliance, we are only looking at the inner dimension of this transformation. So we use a concept of inner capacities in which, you know, all the inner dimensions are there, you know, whether it is, you call it mindsets, values, worldviews, beliefs, or we also use uh, the term transformative qualities and skills. So we are looking at all of that and see uh, and have identified specific entry points in the food systems. And 
for example, if you look at the local level with farmers, so first you say we have a lot of, uh, we see a very strong convergence with the regeneration movement. You know, uh, people in regenerative agriculture are usually, especially the ones that have a, a deep regeneration, you know, perspective, they are very clear that regeneration is not only about adopting specific farming practices, managing soils better, etc. It's also a change of mindset and worldview, especially working from nature, with nature, sorry, of which we are part of, rather than against it, as, you know, industrial agriculture does, right? So but at the local level right now, we're having some discussion, for example, on farmers, well-being and psychological resilience. That's a big issue. We know maybe farming, maybe the occupation with the highest rate of suicide in the world. Farmers are facing climate change. Uh, we are talking about, you know, climate resilience, the psychological resilience of farmer is very instrumental and will be more and more in the future. We are looking also of, you know, how do we, because just recognizing that at the local level, you know, the, the determinants, if you look at long-term sustainability, uh, you know, the farming techniques, they are evolving, the many things are evolving, but in the long term, what would make a difference between sustainable community and, you know, communities that will not be sustainable, I think will have a lot to do with the kind of values, social capital, uh, etc., that these community hold. So we are working also on, on that. Another aspect is, you know, how to strengthen, revive traditional wisdom for conscious food systems. We know, for example, indigenous communities have long had food systems that were very sustainable, unfortunately, because of external pressures and their culture and communities being weakened. We see this knowledge increasingly being lost and these values being replaced. And so how do we uh, can uh, consolidate rather these models and traditional worldviews, values, etc. We're looking also at how to approach uh, policy processes from a different place, you know, from a place of care and connection to oneself, others and nature, maybe starting with a retreat, for example. How to foster more collaboration between different types of stakeholders, which means, you know, how to build safe, transformative, connecting spaces where we can have the, the deep discussions we need. How also to evolve organizational cultures, both in the in, in private organizations, but also in public organizations. And, and finally, you know, the whole thing on conscious consumption, we know there is a link between uh, mental health and sustainable and healthy diets. And there are some practices like mindfulness and mindful eating that can, you know, help with that. And finally, we also see that a lot of traditional food cultures, especially in the global south, are being depreciated with social status being associated with Western imported food. So how we can change that? So these are the, the questions and discussion we're having, and we see a lot also of interesting models among our members that are, you know, showing great results, harnessing the power of inner transformation for their work. Fantastic. And it's really, I can, when you were discussing many of the things also I see and every single day I touch with, discussing with farmers, the problems and that. So it's really a, a, such an important transformational path. And I'm sure the people usually 
want to know. And how this is in practice? Can you share some impact story, outcome from your work on this conscious food system? How you are trying to change this narrative and, 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 and counter this extractive agriculture to the a more regenerative agriculture? Sure. So, yeah, I can give you some examples, but also to uh, notice that what we have found is that it sometimes is difficult to communicate for people to understand they have to experience it. And we have seen, you know, we had this year our strategic retreat with some 40 uh, partners. It was only three days, but I know a few people have told me it was I mean, they were found all very transformative. And some of them told me it was a life-changing experience, you know, just in in three days. So it's really about, you know, how you you convene and one have to experience that feeling of connections and, and, and possibilities that arise. But let's say in our in our partners, I can tell the story, for example, of CCAM, which is an, uh, one of our partners in Egypt. And in the last 50 years, they have greened the Egyptian desert through biodynamic agriculture. And all their approaches is being are funded on this inner work. So they when the, the founder of this NGO and now is a social enterprise group, we could say, with different uh, social businesses, he came, I think he came with a tractor. And a piano, because, you know, for him, it has to do both were needed. You know, you need the inspiration, the personal transformation, the cultural part. And that's what they are also bringing to the farmers they are working with. And even for their employees, they leave 10% work time only dedicated to personal development, artistic work, cultural work, etc. So that's, they really see that human transformation as instrumental to uh, be able to achieve what they are achieving. So that's a a wonderful example. You were talking also about narratives. So at the moment we are, we have a call for, we had a call for proposals and we selected four interventions, very, you know, short interventions. One of them is about how to frame a different narratives on food system transformation and that is targeted to communicators, journalists, etc. So we really see, you know, the often the narrative are based on some implicit assumptions about, you know, how things work. And we really want to to change that to find stories that are more empowering, that also recognize the importance, you know, of this inner dimension, the way we 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 look at things, we understand the world, we make sense of the world to find much more positive and transformative narratives. And fantastic. I'm really, I really like, and it's such sort of important also way, uh, how way you define the narrative, how you shape. Mind is also the first step of education, the masses, and not only the people that are more concerned and in the niche of the sustainability and work. And especially from going from the there's more to the bigger one to the to the wider perspective you have now you are your observatory is is a privileged one you have written books you have been in sustainability you are the forefront you are a leader of many changing shaping experiencing and 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 proposals so how do you see how do you perceive the evolution of our economic paradigm in the future how do you see the sustainability effort 
Uh, are we reaching our results? So do you see shifts or we are still lagging behind? Uh, I think we are still lagging behind, of course. I mean, it's a huge transformation that we need to, to do. So and by nature, this is not easy. We see some some changes, for example, in renewable energies where, you know, market incentives make it, you know, more and more directing more and more inv investments towards cleaner energies for the moment. But I think, you know, as I said, while we don't have a deeper change of uh, paradigm and that relates directly to our own mindsets and worldview. So my sense is that, you know, we see as an, in, at an individual level, we see people, you know, having their own kind of awakening, we could call it, and changing their life and aligning themselves with, you know, more positive trends and goals in societies. And I think the transformation we need is because of the challenges are so great that the transformation we need is so deep. And what is happening in some individual journeys needs to be reflective, reflected also at the collective level. That means we need to redefine our priorities, our objectives as societies and away from, you know, economic growth uh, towards what I call being, or we could say collective flourishing. And I think we are very far away from that yet, but I, you know, I, I do, I do see very rapid changes also in that kind of understanding. You know, the more we realize how deep is the problem, the more we are looking for deeper solutions and, and getting you know, I, I see a lot of recognition, for example, in the work the work we do at with the Conscious Food Systems Alliance probably would have not would have would have not been possible a few years ago. We started just, you know, during COVID when people were really recognizing that business as usual, you know, is no longer an option and we need to to you know look for innovative solutions. So I think, you know. We are entering a period of disruption and very deep crisis that should lead us to, you know, very profound changes. And trailing on that, you, we we are in a world still in the infancy, but the world will be increasingly in the next maybe 30, 50 years, maybe 2041 is a, is a book that I've just recently read, will be more driven more and more by artificial intelligence and for some thinkers human and we see we have hundreds of biases we are imperfect people so machines can nudge towards better behaviors and work but some other people say is this the humanity we want how also the, this uh, transformation where a world driven by in intelligent and machines and which which can be the role of this uh, being which is the role of our human nation how we can flourish in that in that world and how 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 do you see from your observation work this relationship sure what i think ai basically is redefining what is the kind of value added we can have as human beings? You know, what makes us different from machines? So it, you know, in the book, for example, I'm saying that, 
you know, they have, there's an initiative called WISE who has asked education professionals, you know, what is the future of the education? What kind of skills will be more important? You know, they say it's not about knowledge. Knowledge is, you know, changing very fast, is increasingly available everywhere. We have AI to process it. And they say, no, it's rather about uh, personal skills, you know, that are the ones that will bring us, you know, the real added value in that new context shaped by AI, etc. So at the end, you know, even AI is only a tool, you know, there are humans behind it. So it all depends, you know, how do we, you know, our capacities to be make good use of it. I think it's Yuval Noah Harari. Uh, you know, the writer of Sapiens, etc. He said, you know, that is why for him, he said, each dollar we invest in AI, we should invest one dollar in uh, developing human consciousness because, you know, we are becoming so powerful. We have div- uh, a lot of, we have developed our power or technological capacities, but we have not developed the kind of wisdom, consciousness, ethics, we need to manage that power. And that is why this power is increasingly becoming destructive and even threatening ourselves. So, you know, we can, there's an interesting trend also about AI for good. And we have been in touch with people developing AI chatbot and they have offered us right now, we are working within the Conscious Food Systems Alliance on an AI chatbot. And what they have done, I mean, they are talking about compassionate AI. And what they have done is, in, in, you know, they have put some, they have developed some chatbots where they took a lot of spiritual teachings and they converted that in a, a chatbot. So, you know, in the future, you can have even a personalized, you know, spiritual coaching through an AI chatbot because it all depends, you know, the kind of information you put in that AI chatbot. So we'll be working on that. And I think there is a lot also of, you know, positive opportunities with AI, but it all depends on, you know, the kind of mindset and thinking that is behind these uh, aspects. If it's all always driven by profit, it's likely that it will create a lot of problems in our societies. If it's driven by our hearts and our, our desires to make positive contribution to society, then we can really have a development of AI for good. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thomas, I mean, the choice is ours. <laughs> Again, as in the book, I mean, from having to being and which is the choice and the path we are having. And it's been a, a wonderful episode full of insights. I know people that are wanting now to learn more and discuss. But lastly, can you give us, especially to our audience, some advice? From Thomas, let us say to our audience, how, what we can do, which are the, the practical steps we can really follow on, on, on this path. So in the book, I gave a whole policy agenda of what a politics being means in many different sectors so that, you know, wherever you are, whatever is your work, there is a role for you. And you, you know, you can find the book on Amazon or go to the website, politicsofbeing.com. But at the end, you know, I think we all, you know, as I said in the book, it's about politics of being is about aligning all institutions with our true reason to be here on earth, becoming who we are, the best and most complete version of ourselves. So rather it's an invitation, I would say, to just open up, you know, to, you know, to yourself and to reality, just, you know, 
make some pause in your days to be able to truly connect with yourself, with what matters to you, uh, go for a walk and, you know, listen to, to, to nature. What does it, it tell you? And, and from there, you can find your own calling. You can find your own mission on this earth. And we all, I think, on a collective mission, a very important. This is maybe, you know, the most important decade of, of life on earth right what we do today will shape the future of the earth for a long time so we're all here for a reason and once you find it it makes your life much easier and you can feel you know much more in harmony with with life so that's what i would my my main advice is to reconnect with yourself nature and you know the, the people that are that are around you, reconnecting re- really with life and our and our purpose for for being here. Fantastic, Thomas. I really, it's it's a very powerful message, often overlooked. But we really want to thank you so much for this wonderful episode, such an insightful one. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure and honor having you. Thank you, Samuel, for the great discussion. Are you satisfied after this wonderful episode? Let's continue together our sustainability journey.